Hello, it's Matt Weaver here with BibleTruthProject.com. It has been a while, far too long since I've done another episode. I apologize. It has just simply been a crazy busy time for me, and I just haven't taken the time to do it, so I apologize for that. So what should we talk about and discuss in today's episode? Well, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I do think I want to comment. There's a big push right now. Everybody's talking about, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say everyone. In, in the Christian world, there's this big thing right now about September 23rd. And there's also this thing about the eclipse happening on August uh, 21st, I believe. You know, this stuff has happened over and over and over and over. If you just go to Wikipedia and look up the list of eclipses, that have taken place in the last century. Rarely has there been, uh, if you want to, how should I say this? You know, there's this huge talk of calamity. The sun will be darkened before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And it could very easily be an eclipse. I'm not saying it isn't, but let me just, just tell you, okay, that eclipses are not rare. They happen every year, not necessarily total, but they do happen in part every year, uh, pretty much, from what I could see. And many of them go along and are, are not, there's nothing uh, symbolized in them. I think to do so is somewhat superstitious, and we have to be careful uh, that we don't become like those who feared and, 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 live life based on that. I think that's kind of, I think that's somewhat dangerous. Um, Jesus even mentions a evil and perverse generation uh, requires a sign. Actually, I have the verse here. It's Matthew 16, four, and it says a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And then it says, and there shall be no sign given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he took off and left. I don't know. You know, this is what we have to understand. We, we are not sign seekers. Okay. That's not what our calling is. We're to live by faith. God perhaps will give a sign. Uh, there's a lot of speculation as to what that is. It could, is it, a, is, is it the conjunction of the eclipse and then the, the culmination on, on September 23rd of all the dates and stuff? It could be. I, I tend to think that it is somewhat incorrect because, because there's several factors at play. We have the modern Jewish calendar, but that is not the temple calendar. The temple calendar was an agriculturally, uh, agricultural lunar calendar uh, that is not kept today. So the Jewish calendar today is very different from what was kept in Jesus' time and kept in biblical times, even different what the Bible instructs them to do. So... How how is this the calendar that God is going to use? Is that how it works? I don't I don't know, and I don't really think so. Um, that's just one aspect of it, but there's more. And I think what we'll do is I'd like to read Matthew, and we'll go through Matthew twenty three, four, and five when he's teaching on the mount with his disciples, because I think you know here's where he levels with the disciples. They ask him, "Say, look, we want to know when this stuff is going to come about." It's obvious that these men. I mean, they look. They knew Isaiah. They knew Ezekiel. They knew all the the prophets and what they had to say and what's going to happen and stuff. I mean, especially think of it. Jesus knew, and I think 
that's why his words are so crucial. Yes, we need to go to the books of the prophets and we need to read it. And it's important to understand. And uh, yeah, there. but here's the deal. So um, you go into those books and you go to 10 different people and 10 different people read those books. They're going to come out with 10 different meanings because it's just hard to discern. It's hard to look into it. Now, and it's just the way it is. I've looked, I've listened over the last several years to most of the prominent theories out there as far as eschatology is concerned. And it's, it's important to study eschatology. I'm not saying it isn't, but there's, they've always to a degree disagreed. There's one, you know, one person is extremely strong that the Antichrist is, you know, a, a Catholic, uh, type thing or or and even Catholics think that there will be an evil Pope that's the Antichrist or there's the other camp who think Islam I tend to think perhaps that is more accurate but I don't know and yes we study scripture and we look at what it says and we have to you know we have to look at it I tend to think like this that there's always going to be an Antichrist system because there's an enemy and there's an enemy of the gospel and so you're always going to have one form of another. You're going to have an antichrist system in every generation um, that is working to destroy the gospel. And I think that's pretty much been, that's that you can prove to be true. However, it, I mean, obviously the prophets aren't talking about that in perpetuity. Okay. They're, we're talking something different uh, as far as that per se, but it's still like sometimes, you know, we really look hard and we want to know the truth. We study hard and it's, it's important to study hard. It's important to know what it says. But I think if we get to, if our focus is so much in specifics, uh, it can be somewhat dangerous. And I'll, and I'll tell you why, because you look at the Jewish people, God gave them blindness. Well, what was the blindness that God gave them? Uh, not in part, not, not completely in part. Some people did see and they believe, but it tended to be more simple people it tended to be more just people of the land, not people of education. And I think one of the problems is when we dig too deep, when we dig so deep, we forget, uh, we're, we're so detailed and we're looking at all these little things we forget to step back and look at the big picture. And what happened is in, in a large majority, I think, was basically they didn't believe he was the Messiah because they expected him all in one coming, if you will, to uh, deliver Israel from Roman oppression and things like that. They looked at that as being that type of a thing. But Moses warned him and said, you're not going to believe the one who's going to come who's going to be like me. So right there you have... Uh, the reality, and he, and Moses gives him the reason. Said, "You're a stiff-necked people. You're stubborn. You're not. You're you're very stubborn." So, anyway, there's some thoughts on that. I think Christians today are just as stubborn, um, and maybe even worse. I don't know, but we we offer, uh, but we often, if I can say this, neglect to look at the simplicity. We look at the complexity, not the simplicity. Complexity is great. It's fine. It's wonderful to dig in to uh, the complexity of Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah, uh, Zechariah, Joel, all those books that have have uh, prophetic implications. But we have to understand that we have to do it by the Holy Spirit. We have to allow God to show us what he wants us to show or what he wants to show us. 
And that is, that is as far as we really can go. Uh, you can study it from a knowledge perspective and you can become extremely knowledgeable about it. But I guarantee you all that you will form is opinions uh, because we're not really given the authority um, to know exactly what's going on. Jesus said very clearly that only the Father knows. If the Son of God does not even know, uh, only the Father knows. And that was the conclusion that Jesus came up with. It. I mean, isn't that, I think that says a lot. All right, so I apologize. There's going to be a good amount of reading here. Uh, but we're going to do this just basically because there's a really good section here uh, where Jesus is speaking to different people and disciples, etc. And he is laying out um, somewhat of a final teaching. And this is also where the disciples then ask when the time of the end is. So we're going to start in Matthew 23, 24, and then we'll go to 25 until he's uh, done. I'm going to use the modern King James today. Um, you can use whatever Bible that suits your need. Verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowd and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All right, now what is this saying? Scribes, Pharisees. You have uh, learned men, Pharisees. Obviously, many of them were Pharisees. Jesus himself was a Pharisaic uh, Jew. So it's not necessarily talking to everyone. But he's just saying, in general, you know, scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses' seat was a chief seat in the synagogue. And whatever, if there was a little dispute or whatever, uh, whatever was spoken from that seat was as the seat of Moses. And so you do what that person says. Therefore, in verse three, therefore, whatever you tell, they tell you to observe, observe and do. But do not according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy and hard to carry burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they will not move them with one of their fingers. Now, what, what is important here? I think Jesus is being somewhat critical of some of the traditions of the Pharisees. And it's very true. If you look at their interpretation of the law versus Sadducees or whatever, uh, Pharisees, it was far more complicated. They came up with the Talmud, which had tremendous layers uh, built of, around a mitzvah. Um, Rabbinic Judaism today is really descended of Pharisaic Judaism. So they have tremendous rules that go around the simplicity of the law. The law was not that complicated. Most of the law, it's only about 25% of it, really applies to a, uh, a society that's not in temple. I mean, a lot of it is based on sacrifices and priests off, you know, their ordinances and things like that. Personal living commandments were really were not that many. Um, and they were very... They were very common sense. They were not that complicated or, or or hard to bear, if you will. And so, and this is what he's saying. For they bind heavy and hard to carry burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they will not move them with one of their fingers. But they do all the works in order to be seen of men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the first couch of feasts, the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces to be called rabbi, rabbi by men. But you must not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, Messiah. And you all 
and you are all brothers. And call no one your father on earth, for one is your father in heaven. Nor be called teachers, for one is your teacher, even, even Jesus, even Messiah. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and, who's, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he who shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in, nor do you allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and pray at length as a pretense. Therefore, you shall receive the greater condemnation. I should just come back here. Um, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in, nor do you allow those entering to go in. It's an interesting verse. Just thought I'd point that out. Um, what is about that verse that he's saying that keeps people who are going in, that keeps them from, it keeps them from entering? It's interesting. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and dry land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, saying, Whoever shall swear by the temple, he is, it is nothing. But whoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. And that's a Talmudic reference, uh, if I understand correct. They would say that you could swear by the temple, whatever, but the gold of the temple. Uh, there and Jesus is saying, "What are you? What, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, you, you'll swear by the temple, the temple of the living God, and, and that means nothing." Anyway, fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is a debtor. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, whoever shall swear by the altar, swears by it and all things on it. And whoever shall, by the, uh, shall swear by the temple, swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who shall swear by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes as a mint, dill, cumin, and you have left undone the weightier matters of the law. Uh, judgment, mercy, faith. You ought to have done these and not leave the other undone. See, this is the essence of what the law is. It just is. And we read it, and people really make the old law as being archaic and, and you know, it's just bad. Well, the law was about judgment, mercy, and faith. It was not that complicated. It was a beautiful picture. It wasn't perfect because obviously there would be no need for another law if it would have been perfect, but there was beautiful symbology. It does show the heart of God, but it also shows the incompatibility of us natural man. We cannot in our old Adamic self keep the law. Um, it just it just doesn't work. Can I say it that way? We can keep it and we blameless, but our heart isn't changed. And that's ultimately the problem. God kept saying, I will not always strife with man. Anyway, Matthew 3, 23, uh, verse 24, blind guides who strain out 
a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of extortion and excess. See, that's talking again. It's a mitzvah to, cup, to cleanse a cup before you use it and things like that. It makes sense. Wash the dishes, okay? But you nitpick about washing the dishes, but inside you'll extortion excess. In that time in Jerusalem, the priestly class was horrendously uh, wealthy compared to the, to the peasants. There was a, there's actually a museum. It's called the Burnt House Museum in Jerusalem. And you can go into one of these rich people's homes. And there, it's just opulent. It's extravagant. And it was probably a priest's home because it was in the rich sector of Jerusalem. It's just unreal. And here's a priest. I mean, this is not somebody uh, technically that's supposed to be that wealthy. So obviously they're full of extortion and excess. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside of them may be clean also. God is, he's saying here, the inside must be clean so then the outside will also be clean. Not outside and then in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and, and of all uncleanness. Even so, you shall appear righteous to men outwardly, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Again, here he's talking to our inward state, who we are. And often what happens is you have this outward appearance of righteousness and, and, and holiness according to the law, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. It's just the nature of how that works. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the tombs of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witness to yourselves that you are the sons who killed the prophets. And you fill up the measure of your fathers. Serpents, offspring of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, behold, I send prophets and wise men and scribes to you, and you will kill and crucify some of them. And some of them will scourge, you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of, I don't know what that word is, Barachiah, or something like that, Bar trying to figure it out, I guess, whom you kill between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things shall come on this generation. Okay, so this is an important reference. Here he says, all these things shall come on this generation. This generation. Okay. Uh, it's important to note this because he's, he's continuing the conversation in Matthew 24. Most people stop. All right, so I want I want to notice this. He's talking about the generation that's there. Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, the one killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to her, how often would I have gathered your children together as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not see me from now on. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. 
All right, huge, huge verse. For I say, you shall not see me again from now on until till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh or the Lord. This is vital. We cannot miss the implication of this verse. See, by nature, this implies that there needs to be a revival or some some move amongst the Jewish people for them to say, yes, we will bless who comes in the name of Yahweh. Anyway, now we'll move to Matthew 24. Now he departed out of the temple. Okay, so he was talking in the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, or they said to them, sorry. All right, rephrase. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all things? Truly I say to you, there shall not be left here on one stone on another that shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the buildings of the temple. It wasn't necessarily talking about the wall. Um, the reason I say that is because there's a group of people who believe because in that verse it means that every single stone uh, of the entire complex, you know, was destroyed and that this was truly Antonio's fortress and the temple was, was different. I don't believe that to be the case. I, I really don't because there's prophetic implications as far as the sealing of the Eastern Gate, etc. Had it been destroyed, it makes no sense. Uh, but here, here we're, here we're talking about the buildings of the temple, and truly they were thrown down. There were not one stone left uh, of the buildings, and that's what he was referencing. And he sat, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so he probably went down through the kid drawn up the other side, beautiful walk. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Now tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? All right, here it starts. What did they ask? All right. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming? Because obviously he was somewhat speaking prophetically. He's like, when are, hey, well, when is this going to be destroyed? When are the, where, when's this going to happen? And when are you going to come back? They just heard him say, you're not seeing me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And... So they're kind of concerned. I mean, when when is when's going to be the sign of your coming and end of the end of the world? So they expect him to come again. I, I just think it's interesting that how downcast and distraught they were when he got crucified. When right here they're asking them the question, well, what will be the sign of your coming? Anyway, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many will come in my name, saying... I am Christ and will deceive many. All right. Now, what does this mean? There were other people who were messiahs who came in the form of messiahs, if you will, and declared themselves to be messiah. One of the most famous is Simon bar Um And he led many astray and deceived many. And there was others. Okay. So that's one thing. Deception. But deception by way of other Christs, if you will, other messiahs. Then you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
Well, that's always a scary thing, you know, to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, back then there was no different. It was the Roman Empire. Of course there was wars. And in that time frame, there was a tremendous amount of wars and rumors of wars because they, Jewish people, wanted to have freedom. So he's talking to something they understand. In, in their time frame, had you said wars and rumors of wars, they were talking about the rebellion that was stirring up in the Jewish people, in the nation, and all around. There were just, they're just wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must occur. But the end is not yet. Now we go to another level. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in different places. So now you have nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in different places. Now, that is the perfect description of what the world has been for the last 2,000 years, okay? We've had nothing but nation rising against nation, kingdom and kingdom. There have been famines. There have been pestilences. There have been earthquakes. Now, what what does it say? All these are the beginning of sorrows. And I should say that in that time frame, it was the same thing. They had famines and pestilences and earthquakes in their day. Destroyed a lot of the cities that Jesus went to was earthquakes. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to be afflicted, will kill you. You will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Well, that has certainly taken place even within that generation. They were... Definitely. I mean, in the next book, in Acts, they're delivered up. They're afflicted. Some of them are killed. Stephen. And then they become hated. Followers of Yeshua are hated. That happened immediately after this time frame. The greatest persecution of the church was during the Emperor Nero, which was when Paul was still alive. That's when it started. So, you know, we're not talking generations here for this to have made sense to the people who lived and read it. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. So all of a sudden you're going to have division. People are going to be offended and they'll betray one another and they'll hate one another. That's also a sign. It was back then. That is even today. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many. What, what is a prophet? Prophet somewhat tells people what's going to take place. Many were going to rise and they're going to deceive many. They're going to go the wrong way. And that has been the case. Even now you have these predictions. Okay. These are people who may are making predictions. Well, according, according to at least the old Testament understanding, Jesus understanding that time, they would consider themselves to be prophets. And if it doesn't come to pass, you're to consider them to be false prophets. It's that's the danger of trying to declare some of this stuff because if you're wrong then you're a false prophet bible says it very clear and it says you'll rise and deceive many haven't we seen that in our lifetime sure we have everyone through history we've seen that and again because iniquity shall abound the love many will become cold which if you read the jewish revolt the iniquity and the evil between some of the leaders of the revolt, it was awful what they did. I mean, it was just horrible. They just became very hard people. Now he endures to the end. The same shall be kept safe. You know, so there's an enduring for them to have taken place. And this gospel, the good news, what is the good news? The good news of the kingdom. It's not just the gospel. The gospel doesn't, the gospel is just, it means good news and the good news. What is the good news? The kingdom. 
shall be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end shall come. So now we're getting into the line of the end. All right, gospel is going to be proclaimed in the world as a witness. And then the end shall come. Now what end? What end is he referring to? Is he referring to the end of the world? Or is he referring to the end of the temple and the buildings? Well, if we look at the verse, the, the, the chapter previous, he's talked to disciples. about. He says, look at the buildings. There's not going to be one that's not going to be left on another. And so he's he's asking, and then, then disciples come and ask and say, well, when is this stuff going to take place? So here we have a question, okay? The end. Some people interpret this the end of the age, the end of the world, or the end of the temple. Because of what is spoken here next, I believe it was talking about the destruction of the temple. Now, it could also be referring to the end of the age. It could, but I don't really believe uh, exactly that per se. I, I don't know. I, this is this is something that is open to interpretation. I'm not saying I'm necessarily right. This is just how I see it because I've studied the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of Israel, which is really a profound happening. As Christians, we don't tend to think of it. We're like, oh, what's the big deal? You know, we had the church. Well, it, it's not how it works. You have people of the people of God cast out of their land of promise. I mean, God made a covenant with Abraham about this land. And for 2000 years, God's people had been there and now they're about to be thrown out. The temple is going to be put away with that, that there's been a temple there for over a thousand years. It's just a lot of, well, I shouldn't say a thousand, 600 years. A lot of things are coming together. Um, really a traumatic time. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet stand in the holy place. Okay. What is this talking about? Uh, the end time eschatology people would say this is when you see uh, Antichrist army come and Gog Magog war, that type of stuff. Well, here, here's the plain and simple. The abomination of desolation, very clearly, when we, when we look at the parallel verses in, um, I'm trying to think, I think it's Luke. It gives the interpretation. It says when you see Jerusalem, Jerusalem encompassed about with armies. It's very clear. We can go to Daniel. It basically says the same thing. The abomination of desolation is one when Jerusalem is compassed about with armies. Why? Because that's an abomination and it makes desolate. Okay. Warfare. It's just the way it is. When Jerusalem is threatened with desolation, if I can say it that way, then it's a scary time on earth. Let's just face it. That's, that is what God is saying here. And, th and then... That was absolutely applicable to that generation. Let me just keep reading then. Then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, Judea obviously had some mountains, but you know, you're talking about, he's talking regional. He didn't say the whole world. Let those in the whole world flee to the mountains. He said Judea. This, it's a scary moment. When you see armies coming around Jerusalem and you're in Judea, you go to the mountains. Get out, get out of Jerusalem, leave. Let him on the housetop not come down or take anything out of his house. If you see the armies coming, run. 
nor let him in the field turn back to take his clothes. Just go. If you hear that the armies are there, leave. And woe to those who are with child and those who give suck in those days. It's a peculiar reference. Uh, obviously, there's tr- trauma. You're fleeing. You're going for your life. And, you know, a baby is, is that's a, a big woe. Um, but even more importantly, that in Jerusalem, it's recorded by Josephus that that it came, it got the, the siege got so bad because that's part of the problem. I mean, there was a siege and it was horrible. If you were in the mountains, you were fine. But if you were in Jerusalem, it was awful. Uh, it got so bad that literally were starting to eat their own children. I just found that I find it tantalizing when Jesus says, woe to those who are with child and to those who give suck <laughs> because they literally ate their own children. You want to talk about horrible, but pray that your flight is not in the winter nor on the Sabbath day. You know, you don't want to violate the Sabbath. It's a rest. And pray that you also don't have to go in the wintertime. It'll be much harder in the wintertime. Jesus didn't say, okay, this is this is it. What does he then say? For then shall be great tribulation, such as his has not been since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. <clears throat> well, that's where it gets into eschatology again. And they're like, oh, well, that's talking about the great tri- tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, let me put this question out there. Why could that have not been back then? Why could at the time of Jacob's trouble not have been the expulsion of Jews from Israel, the destruction of, of the temple, and the end of the nation of Israel, uh, the, the end of the kingdoms, I should say? Why could it not have been then? Why could that have not been the time of Jacob's trouble? Why does it have to be in some great end time apocalyptic event? Well, obviously the prophets talk about an apocalypse. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's interesting to note that Titus's army that destroyed Jerusalem came from Caesarea and he came right through Armageddon. So he came through right through the Valley of Armageddon, went down to Tiberias and and, and dealt with some of the Northerns and then went ended up down in Jerusalem at the end. So, you know, sometimes we just, the context, I don't know. I, I'm not saying this can't refer to the end, but it was certainly applicable to the day that they lived in. Okay. And there was a tribulation in the Jewish nation at that time. The likes has not been since the beginning of the world unto the time or ever will be. I mean, yeah, the Holocaust was terrible, but if you look at the percentage of population lost, there was a mass destruction of the Jewish people during the revolt. It's one of the most uh, epics, if you will, of the Jewish nation, is one of them, or the Israel, we should say, of the children of Jacob. It is probably the greatest destruction um, and slaughter ever known to Israel. So, What's he referring to? Then the next verse, 22. And unless those days should be shortened, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Well, here again, we get into the New Testament thing. And people say, well, it says elect. That means Christians. Well, Paul later Okay, writes about the elect and as far as our election by way of us being grafted into the root. 
But the, the elect have always been, if I can call it, the root children. Okay, The children of Israel have always been the elect. In the Old Testament, they were called the elect. The new, you know, we are grafted in, so we are also now partakers of the election. Okay, So we are elect as well. Well, what's it saying here? Unless those days of Roman oppression should have, should have been shortened, no flesh would be saved. And that's the way it was. The Jewish uh, revolt incited Roman anger to the point where they decided they'd have to almost annihilate the population. And they almost did. They really did. They slaughtered and slaughtered and slaughtered. That's, I mean, we look at the story of Masada. It was the last fortress of the Jewish people. And Rome was desperate enough to go after 900 Jews that they spent almost three years building a ramp and a siege tower to get 900 people off the top of a mountain endure the world's harshest climate. Uh, I mean, you're talking 120 degree in the daytime. I mean, it's just awful. No fresh water around. And here you have a legion, 5,000 men. It's just the tenacity. The the. It's incredible. And, and most Christians, they ignore it. It's like, that's not a big deal. Well, you know, it was destroyed, whatever. Well, look at what is it is being said in the context. Anyway, then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Messiah, or there, do not believe it. Now, is this applicable to that time frame? Absolutely. In that time frame, many people were being declared messiahs. It wasn't saying, here is Christ as far as Jesus. Remember, Christ means Messiah. So he's saying, if you hear people say, well, here's the Messiah, or there, don't believe it. Why? Because this is, this, again, he, obviously, the Jewish people were looking for a revolutionary. They were looking for this type of person. They were looking for somebody to deliver them from Roman oppression. So, of course, they're wanting this. And he's saying, don't believe it, because that's not how it's going to be. Plain and simple. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise. I want to reference, I mean, I'm, I'm careful what I call a prophet, I guess. I don't know that Rabbi Akiva is a prophet, but he declared Simon bar to be the Messiah. And many people believed, and they kind of established a little kingdom, and that brought about the absolute, finally, the last remnant of Ju- Judaism in the land was then taken out. It became completely desolate of, of Jews uh, as any resemblance of a nation. There might have been some scragglers, but for the most part, they were completely taken out and destroyed. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so much so that it, if, so much so that if it were possible, they would deceive even the elect. Now again, we're in, uh, we are part of the election, okay? So we're partakers of that. So it could destroy us. They're trying to deceive us and trying to deceive the Jews. They're trying to completely deceive all of them, which is what, what happened. Many of them were very much deceived. But behold, Matthew 25, I have told you beforehand. All right. So here he's saying, look, I warned you. Just know I've warned you. This is going to happen. Therefore, If they say, if they shall say to you, behold, he is, talking about the Messiah, in the desert, don't go out. Behold, he is in the secret rooms. 
don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It will be a flash. Okay? When, when he returns, Jesus is saying here, it's going to be a flash. It's going to be a boom. It's not that we're going to have to go to the desert to find him or that we're going to have to go, uh, you know, some secret place. No, absolutely not. He is going to come like a flash. Boom. And then he will, that's, that's how it's going to be. So we're not looking for a slow, you know, a guy riding around and no, it's going to be a whoom, like a lightning flash for wherever the carcass is there. The Eagles will gather. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of heaven shall be shaken. All right. Let's talking about those days. It's the tribulation of those days. The sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Okay, so now we talked about those days. All right, we, we've talked about that. Is it applicable to those people? Now st- stars fall from heaven. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give her light. There's going to be darkness. Let me just put it this way. There's going to be tremendous darkness. And the powers of heavens will be shaken. When we look at what happened, obviously Israel ceased from being a nation, which is astoundingly important. It's something that almost everybody doesn't talk about. They're like, okay, well, yeah, Israel was destroyed, whatever, next, church, you know. Listen, this is God's people. Look what God did to, look what happened. He, he, he allowed his covenant and his promises to lapse. And they left. The Israel children of Israel had to leave. They land. They were gone. They were dispersed to the four corners of the world. This is major stuff. In the annals of history, it is the greatest uh, judgment God placed on the Jewish people. It was the greatest judgment. 2,000 years out of the land. This was much worse than the 70 years uh, in Babylonia and Assyria. Okay, this is huge. This is huge. And after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light. Stars from heaven, powers of heaven shall be shaken. But ultimately, it's the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And we have to look at the authorities and things of shaking around. And I mean, it just is. It's really kind of crazy. And you're going to have a shaking, tremendous shaking of power. And then the sign of the Son of Man shall appear in the heavens. And then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, and from the end of the heavens to the other. Now, what is he talking about here? All right. Gather his elect. Christians automatically jump on the bandwagon that's talking about just us. But is he also referring to the gathering together of the Jewish people? Is that part of the sounding of the trumpet? We see him more than ever in closeness as far as him coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I mean, we see it. 
uh, spiritually, us believers see it now more than ever. But it now says, and the sign of Son of Man shall appear in the heavens. So what is this sign? Well, some people, I think that's part of what I want to talk about. You know, we have these people today saying on September 23rd, you're going to have, uh, you're two years away from when the Bethlehem star was. And 2,000 years approximately before that is when the other Bethlehem star was. And 2,000 years before that, there was a star when, uh, when Abraham was born. Could be. Not saying it isn't. Is that what it's talking about here? I don't know. It just says that the sun, sign of the Son of Man shall appear in the heavens. So it's his sign. I, I, what that means, I don't know. But when he comes, it's going to be like a flash of lightning. And it says he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the heavens to the other. Now, it didn't say the four corners of the earth. He said from the four winds, from the ends of the heavens. So is he talking about gathering together the saints that are in heaven? I don't know. I'm just saying I want to make sure that you understand here that it's not saying earth. It says elect from the four winds, from the four winds, obviously are somewhat from the four corners of the earth, but it doesn't say four corners of the earth. It says the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. And now he's talking about the parable of the fig tree. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is still tender, and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. Likewise, when you see all these things, shall know that it is near at the doors. Truly I say to you, this generation. All right, so this is, this is an important, probably the most important verse right here this is this is where the controversy is okay now some people will interpret interpret that all these things when all these things happen it's that generation okay this generation when these things happen it's this generation <coughs> excuse me but in the chapter preceding the very last verse before he he walks out of the temple he says this generation so now is he referring to the same this generation or is he referring to that this generation. He didn't say that this generation. He's saying this generation. Again, he said this generation in the chapter previous. So why would he say it differently? I, it's my, the way I read it. Now, it could be that it will repeat itself and that when you see this generation, but it doesn't say that when you see this generation. It says this generation shall not pass until all these things are fulfilled. And then he puts extra emphasis on it. He says, the heaven and the earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then he says this, listen, he just said heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not. These are his words. But of that day and our no one knows, not the angels of heaven, but only my father. Okay, he didn't say the prophets knew. <laughs> okay, we, we have to, there's sometimes we say, we'll decide. We, 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 no, listen, the day, the hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, but only the father. 
Okay, so Jesus himself is saying, look, you're going to see this stuff come to pass. This generation is not going to pass until these things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. This is going to be an eternal testament. This is, this is obviously uh, big. So, yeah, what are we going to do with this? What, what do we do with this? I mean, this is truly, this is where I feel that this has been deception. I, I really do. I believe that a lot of people have looked at prophecies and tried to come up with good excuses and try to discern the day and the hour when any angels in, of heaven don't know. You know, who are we to think we know? But it, it implies also that the prophets didn't know. If, if Jesus didn't say the prophets know, he, did, he didn't say they didn't know directly, but he did say the angels but only the Father knows. So we have to be careful when we start thinking we know what's going on because only the Father ultimately knows when he's going to send his Son. Then Jesus says this, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. So what is this saying? All right, listen, the coming back, this is now referring to the coming back. Before that verse, this is the way I've always looked at it. Before that, he was talking about things in that generation. Now, he's talking about when he returns. Why? Because the disciples asked him questions in order. Okay? They asked him, when will these things be? Let me just go back and read that. Uh, here. There's a, this is the question. Number one. When shall these things be? Number two, and what shall be the sign of your coming? And number three, end of the end of the world. And if you look, Jesus, someone answers it in that order. Okay. He tells us when these things will be. And then he said, talks about the signs of the sign of his coming and then the end of the world. Okay. He said that he's going to come in the clouds of heaven. That'll be somewhat of the sign. Okay. You'll mourn. You'll see the sun. Son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power. So the sign of his coming is the sound of the trumpet and the gathering of his elect. That's the sign. Now, all he said is now learn the parable of the fig tree. When the branch is still tender puts out of leaves, you know that summer is near. Likewise, when you see these things, you know that it's near. It's at the door, but it's waiting. Okay, so... We're at the door. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. It's just the way we're supposed to be. Now he's talking about the end because this is the third question that was asked. Now he says, listen, nobody knows the day or the hour except the Father. Heaven and earth will pass away. No one knows. Not the angels in heaven, but only the Father. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. He's saying that, listen, it's not going to be that obvious. Because it wasn't obvious in Noah's day. Why? Verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's not like... How would you say this? It's not like... Uh, mm -hmm. 
how do I say? It? Yeah, it's it's sudden. It's instant. It's a flash. It's a twinkling of an eye. It's a lightning bolt from east to the west. Boom, and it's over. That's how he said it was going to be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken, the other left. Therefore watch, for you do not know what hour your Lord comes. Ultimate quest, ultimate challenge, watch. Look for it. We don't know when he's going to come. Look for it. But know this, that if the steward of the house had known in which, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be dug through. Okay. What's he saying? Okay. Some people, some people would say instantly that, oh, he's saying that he would have known what watch, what hour the, you know, to watch. He would listen. Let's be practical here. Obviously, if I am the steward of my own house and I know in what hour he would have come, it's in an hour when I don't expect it. Okay. He would not have allowed his house to be dug through. So he would be, he would be careful. He wouldn't allow just anyone to come dig a tunnel under his house. Okay. Obviously, he's not going to undermine his faith or salvation. He's going to be careful. He's going to be watching for the return. It's his, it's the challenge. That is what God is saying. Therefore, you also be ready. For in that hour you think not the Son of Man comes. That's how it works. We prepare our hearts always. And it's interesting, he says, for in the hour you think not. Not the hour you think the Son of Man comes. And I look at that and I say, you know, you have all these Christians here marking the hour. Ooh, this is it. It's got to be this. And people go crazy, do, do crazy things. Jesus said it's when you don't think it is, is when he comes, not when you think it is. Anyway, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord shall find him doing so when he comes. So what is it saying? Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Somebody who's faithful and wise. Whom his Lord has made ruler over his household. So he's the ruler of the household. So that there's food in due season. And it says that blessed is that servant who's, whom his Lord shall find doing so when he comes. So this is an important thing. God has given us resources. He's given us a, a place, a position in our household. So that we have food. We're supplying. That is a good servant. And it says, blessed is that servant whom his Lord shall find doing when, when he comes. It's like, don't, don't slack. Don't do whatever you want. Like prepare, keep your house prepared. Dude, be diligent, provide for your family. And it says, truly, I say to you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to strike his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in the day when he does not look for him and in the hour which he does not know. And he shall cut him out apart and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's talking about the implication. We are to prepare. We are to be ready for the coming. Not 
delay. One of the parables uh, of the ten virgins, five foolish, five wise, it's amazing because it's important. It's, it has the same implication. In Jewish times, when there was a wedding or a bride expecting the groom, every night they would go out and light lamps. And you need a lot of oil for that, obviously. So some had not prepared oil uh, to keep their lamps burning, and they didn't. They let their lamps go out. And the other five kept those lamps burning at night, waiting for the Son of Man to come. And what God is warning us here, even the same thing, is it's like we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to be ready. Because it will come. It just will come when it comes. And it'll be like a flash and it'll be over. We're not going to really expect it. We're not going to see huge, you know, very clearly defined, this is what it was. You know, I, I don't believe so. I mean, Jesus is the son of God. He doesn't indicate that. Now, there's a tremendous amount of information in the prophets, and we can dig into it the best we can. But I tell you what, there has been a tremendous amount of, of different opinions throughout the years, even on that. All right. Very next chapter. This is why sometimes chapters and verses are hindering. Why? Because the very next chapter is exactly that parable. Then shall the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 25, 1, be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps out to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise, five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps out but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. But while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, No, lest we not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they who were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, watch, for you do not know either the day or the hour in which the Son of Man comes. For it is as if a man going abroad called his own servants and gave them his goods. And to the one he gave five, two, and one, according to each according to his ability, and went abroad at once. And going, he who had received the five talents traded him and made another five talents. And likewise, he had received two, he also gained another two. But he who had received the one talent went, dug in the earth, and hid his Lord's silver. After a long time, the Lord's servant came to count and took account with them. And so he had received five talents, came and brought another five, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Behold, I have gained five. Lord said, well done, good faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also received two talents. Uh, he who had received, sorry, said and came, you delivered two talents to me. Behold, I have gained another two talents above them. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few. I will make you rule over many. Enter the joy of the Lord. He who, and he who had received the one came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the earth. Lo, you have yours. 
His Lord answered and said, Evil, slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I did not sow, and I gathered where I did not scatter. Then you should have put money to the exchangers. And coming, I would have received my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has more shall be given, and he will abound. But from him who has not, even that which he has shall be taken. And throw the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But to the Son of Man, but when he comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divide the sheep from the goats. And indeed, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats off to the left. Then the king shall say to those on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous shall answer, saying, Lord, when we did, when did we see you hungry, and fed you, or thirsty, or gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger, took you in, or naked, clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king shall answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you have done it unto me. Then he also shall say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. Naked, prison, okay, basically reiterating. Keep going down. Verse 45, then he shall answer them saying, truly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you will not do it unto me. You did it not do it. You did not do it to me. Sorry, get a little tongue tied. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. So that is the end of that discussion. And it was immediately, the next line it says, and it happened when Jesus finished all these sayings, he said to the disciples, now, you know that after two days the Passover comes, the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified, the chief priests and scribes and elders assembled together uh, to the palace, it was called Caiaphas, and they consulted if they could take Jesus somehow and by guile and kill him. So you have to understand the context here. This is his last words before he's crucified. This is his last instruction. This is as if you were sitting and he gave his last will, if you will. Now, we do hear, of course, from Jesus after he's resurrected. But I'm just, I'm saying this because this was, this is important. And to the people there they would have understood what this meant you know the end of israel the end of god's people it, to us we don't think about it we're we're christians um we've lived without the jewish nation established for almost 2000 years so it doesn't seem odd to us that there is no such thing but if you would have lived in that time and there had been a jewish nation from the time the same time span, okay, so say from Abraham to the present. Say if Abraham lived 2,000 years ago, and here we live uh, in a nation that God promised to Abraham, and we still live here. You know, 
and all of a sudden, every, the world goes upside down. It's turned around and we are thrown out. Most of us are killed. We're destroyed. We think, where is God? Where is God? How, does he not keep his promise? Does he not keep his word? Does he not keep his covenant? And not only did they get cast out, but for 2,000 years until 1948. So what is the implication here? What is God doing? He is now gathering from the four winds uh, people of his election. Now, there's going to be a great controversy and debate probably of, you know, that's what the whole replacement theology battle is, and I am not a fan of it. Certainly do not think that that's how it works. I think that's really foolish. I think God is the judge. Let him be the judge. We live according to what our Messiah taught us. And we let God be the judge in, in this regard. So I know it's been an hour. I apologize. It's been long. I, I just wanted to bear my heart. I, I, I've talked to this to the people I've taken to Israel. I'd like to take them up on the Mount of Olives. And then I like to read this section. And just let them think and imagine what Jesus told them. It's Part of the problem is we have people who do not study history. And when we do not study history, we don't learn from history. And if we don't learn from history, we're bound to repeat the same mistakes made. And in that regards, it may be the same thing. It may be that Israel will face tremendous you know, persecution again. It, might, it may be that an army comes against Jerusalem and surrounds it, threatens to destroy it. If it is that, then the prophecies would indicate that Jesus will come instantly to, uh, after some time there, to make to regain his children. I mean, they were taken captive, uh, supposedly by the Antichrist. So I don't know all of that. Honestly, I don't know. Jesus made it clear that it, the, his coming was like a lightning bolt. All he said for us to do was to be ready to be ready because he says you're not going to know the day and the hour yeah you may know the season you may know the time i think we're definitely closer than ever before but in the same thing when we are doing our things going about our life we don't do it because we know that it's near and god's a harsh god we don't you know we're not going to go out there and do we're just going to be very reserved here no god wants you to go out there and he wants you to to grow in what he's given you he's giving you talents he's giving you things grow in it do it well do it with all diligence provide for your family for, provide for your brothers uh, take care of each other. What he's really, in, in, in my opinion, what, I, what he's saying here is really do community well. Go out and take care of each other. These are your brothers and your sisters. You know, do your talents. To some people, it might be ministry. To others, it might be making money. It might be producing uh, food, agriculture. I, whatever it is, do it with all diligence. Because when he comes, he's going to say, good, good job. You did an excellent job. You've done it to these. You've, you've blessed my people. You've blessed my brothers. You did it to them. It's the same as doing it to me. So come into my kingdom. What do you think we're going to do in a kingdom? We're going to rule and reign. We're going to have, uh, if it's a literal kingdom, we're going to have probably property and who knows what else we'll do up there. But I'm just, I'm just saying we, we need to really look at this from a simplistic view. We've got it really complicated. Let's just be prepared. Bottom line, let's be prepared. Now, there are those who say that, you know, when Jesus said that, he said in this generation, this generation shall not pass before these things be fulfilled. 
And, and it could be that that's referring to that generation that is there. But, but again, I reiterate, Matthew 23, he's in the temple, he's talking to people, and he says, this generation. So why would he in the next couple lines down, he literally just walks down around the Kidron, walks out of the temple, down the Kidron Valley, up the other side, takes maybe half an hour okay it's not a long terribly long walk he's over there and then he tells him this generation so all i'm saying is god had tremendous judgment against the jewish people who those who killed the prophets and all that and he ended by and large most of the sects of judaism the only one that survived was uh rabbinic judaism i think he has a purpose in it why did he not destroy it sadduceism is gone essenes are gone zealots are gone uh why did rabbinic judaism survive i think god has a plan a purpose i think he's going to do something great and marvelous and honestly that is what i believe if anything if any if there's any sign it's going to be the sign of the prophet jonah and it'll have something to do with israel i believe um, based on that. But that's that's a whole different discussion. That's what I have for today. I'd be happy to hear comments and thoughts. Um, so Sorry I was somewhat long-winded, but I just wanted to, to give you that information um, and basically present it to you that you can see that it was done and completed in the time frame that they lived. Okay, this is not something weird or rare or, you know, like this hasn't taken place. We just don't think of the severity and what it means because we've lived separated from it for 2000 years. But if you would have been a Jew, okay. And you had a continual history of 2000 years going to Abraham and you lived in the land that God promised Abraham. Let me put that in comparison. So you're an American or Chinese, whatever you may be. All right. American is probably a better for our standpoint. Let's just talk about it from the American standpoint. So you're an American, Nation's only 230 years old. 230 years old. And yet today we feel we have a really good grip on the world and our worldview and democracy and everything that goes on. You only have 230 years of heritage. We already cannot decide uh, exactly the interpretation of our founding fathers. Now imagine God establishing this nation clearly with one individual. We're all one family, and it came from Abraham. One man. Let's say George Washington was that father. And George Washington was the father of all of us. We are all his children. That would clarify our role as a nation, would it not? We would just have one founding father, not founding fathers who had differing views. And here we are, 2,000 years later, God has done exactly what he promised he would do. He brought us out of Egypt. We've celebrated the, the Passover. We understand what this meant for 2,000 years. And we're sitting in the land of Israel. And the, the, the trumpets are calling off of the temple. We have this beautiful new temple Herod built to God. And we have, you know, yeah, Rome is here. It's, it's bothersome, the taxes, and it's kind of grievous. But you know what? They let us do our life. They let us do our thing. We're not complaining. We're here. We're in the land that God gave to Abraham. This is our land. You know, this, and that's never going to go away. This is God's promise. And all of a sudden, it's like heaven falls down. And everything that 
we believed in for 2,000 years was undermined. Say, for instance, in America, okay, 2,000 years on, 2,000 years, we've had America now. And here a little Roman army comes by that has barely lasted a few hundred years and destroys us. It's like, what is going on? God, what are you doing this? Is this your judgment? What is what is happening? That is what I'm referring to. Can you imagine living in that existence? America has been for 2,000 years. It started with George Washington, if we can say it that way. If he would be our father, metaphorically. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and this other country who has not come after us. Sure, we faced enemies before in history, but we've always, yeah, and we've faced even deportation once for 70 years, but we came back. You know, we're resilient. Here it is ultimate. Here it is destruction and dispersion, the likes of which have never happened. The children of Abraham, these were the people that had the promises, the covenant, everything. And it is scattered to the four winds, and most of them are killed. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. Most of the cities are destroyed. The land is made desolate. It is like an abomination on the face of the earth. Now, you want to tell me that that is not significant in the heavenlies, that the powers of the heavens will be shaken? When God himself turns his, seemingly turns his back on his people and his land? And for the next 2,000 years, this land is like a, a little pond, and it, it's so stripped bare and so desolate and and bad that by the time the Byzantine Empire, the end of the, or the end of the Ottoman Empire, I should say, uh, I forget who the writer was, but there's a writer who visited Israel, and he said, this could never be God's promised land. It is so desolate, so barren, so ugly, so God-forsaken that there's never again will there be anything. This is before the Jew Jewish nation was reborn. And lo and behold, the Balfour Declaration, all of a sudden, there is a momentum and a pressure and a push for the Jewish people to have their state. You know, we live with it now. I was born with knowing there's an Israel. So it doesn't seem strange to me. But if we look at history, it's immense. So we, we understand, we have to understand the situation, the season we're in. Okay, we are in a season, and I think it's exactly what Jesus said. You're going to know the parable of the fig tree. He said, when there's leaves, you're going to know summer is, it's the time of summer. I think, really, ultimately, that's what we're talking about. I think, yeah, the destruction of of Israel, the deportation, the exodus, if you will, the second, not exodus, but the, the, the diaspora. Now we're here 2,000 years later, and we have the fig tree. What is the fig tree? The fig tree represents Israel. So Israel has been reestablished for now will be next year 70 years. I think summer is, I think we're in summer. I really do. I think we're in summer. If we have been in the last 2,000 years, I would definitely say, uh, yeah, we're in summer. So Jesus could come at any time, but when he comes, it'll be like a, light, a lightning flash. But until he comes, we tarry. We do our work. We are good to each other. We help each other. We do community. And exactly, if you look at the church today, it's exactly what's not happening. 
It's exactly what's not happening. Look at the followers of Jesus. Look at the churches today. How many times, I mean, divisions and people are betraying one another and they literally hate one another. Just what Jesus said is going to happen. So this is the warning. I think that what people, they focus on differences and not what makes us come together. And that is Jesus to be brothers and sisters, to live with each other, not focus on differences. That's evil, sinful. And we need to repent. We need to get right. And we need to love our brothers and sisters as God has commanded us. So that's all I have for this episode. Thanks for listening. Sorry, I'm rather long-winded today. Um, yeah, I would love to hear me. Write me an email. And I would love to hear some feedback from you. Thank you. God bless. <laughs>